This is Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. David Ellison is the bassist and co-founder of Megadeth, a group that is part of the influential Big Four of thrash metal. Over 35 years after their formation, the Grammy Award-winning pioneers are still rocking hard and have been finishing work on a new studio album. David has also played and recorded with other bands recently, including Metal Allegiance, Altitudes and Attitude, and his solo group Ellison, whose second album, No Cover, features them and various guests, tackling tunes by iconic bands like Motorhead, Wasp, Queen, and many more. When he actually has time off from all of this frenzied musical activity, David indulges in his love for coffee. And I don't just mean drinking it. Four years ago, he founded Ellison Coffee Company, and they now sell numerous roasts online and through various retailers around the country. It's certainly a passionate venture that we discuss for this episode of Side Jams. David enthusiastically dived into details about the origins of his business, how he has learned about the intricacies and nuances involved in coffee making, and how he has gained a strong education in entrepreneurship and running an independent company. I called him via Skype at his home in Phoenix, Arizona. He was taking a break from packing up boxes of his artisanal coffee for shipment. It had been many years since I'd last spoken with David, so it was great to catch up and talk shop of a different sort. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. Welcome. Welcome. It's funny, I'm actually not a coffee drinker. That's too bad. I never got into it. Well, now, now I you have to... I brought you a bag right here. I thought you'd Excellent. have it. Actually, we just got this brand new label that we're doing this, which is kind of right. got, it's got this guitar pick. It's very nice. I'm just fulfilling the first orders. It's kind of what I'm doing over the summer. I told uh, my partner, Tom, I just said, look, I'm at home. One of our roasters, our main roasters here in town. And I said, look, I can just drive down and pick up the coffee. I'll bring it home. I can autograph the bags myself. Right. I'll uh, I'll stuff them in the in the shipping uh, envelope. I can throw a couple little goodies in there for the fans. Get some little pick cards and picks and things like that. So I figured I'll put some little Easter eggs in there as well, and it'll be kind of a fun way to keep us all engaged through the summer. And and I can drink coffee while I do it, so it's perfect. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm assuming you've been drinking coffee most of your life. I have. I mean, the first time, you know, it's funny. It's a lot like beer and a lot of. Other stuff I eventually tried and used for a while. <laughs> I, the first time I had it, I didn't like it. Um, and I remember I went on a camping trip with like the church group or something. And we had this big, long drive out from Jackson, Minnesota, down I-90 out to like, not the Black Hills, but probably close, a long way out there by kind of by Mount Rushmore, probably. Right. right. And I just remember having to pee the whole time. I was like, ah, this is hellish. My bladder hurts. And I was like, why does anybody drink this stuff, you know? And my mom made me coffee that morning because we had to leave super early. Um, And I didn't drink it for a few years after that. And it's funny, I got to L.A. and our first drummer, Dijon Carruthers in Megadeth, he had quit taking drugs and didn't party anymore. And I did, of course, at that time. But he got me into drinking coffee. And it was so we'd sit. I'd go to his apartment over in uh, Hollywood and we'd sit around and listen to like Rainbow and Judas Priest records and stuff, and and uh, he'd fanboy out on Cozy Powell and Les Binks and the drummers and stuff, and we'd be drinking coffee. Yeah. So that was kind of what really got me into it, you know. And uh, you know, there, I was young in the early days of Hollywood. You're you're running and gunning and ripping and tearing pretty late at night, so the coffee kind of helped pick me up and get me going the next day. Well, it's funny because so many rockers are doing their own coffee now. I guess the joke I make is like, you know, once you hit that middle age mark, you need to stay perky. So it's it's probably good on the road. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, for me, I've had, you know, again, I've, I drank the stuff really probably since I was literally like 18 years old, you know. You know, it's funny. So coffee is a, is an interesting culture. You know, I was never a wine guy. I never liked it. I used to I remember my parents would give me some when I was just a little kid, like Mogan David or something at Thanksgiving. And I was like, why would I drink this stuff? And I want it to taste like grape juice. It doesn't. And then I just kind of get a buzz and then it makes me take a nap. I was like, I, I hated wine. It's never been my thing, you know. Mm. And um but I know it's the culture, you know, there's a big thing with that. But um, the coffee thing, you know, it, it's just lifestyle for me. And, and um, you know, for us with coffee, it, you know, we started with, again, this, you know, roast in peace. And that was our, is our flagship one. And then we did some light roast and we got the rock and rose and that. And, and our thing was, is we wanted to be like everything we do, I think, inside, you know, the Ellison wheelhouse is, you know, we play nice with our neighbors, you know, and be a good a good neighbor in good standing. And so we started to roast coffee. You know, we do a uh, skid roast, slave to the grind. Yeah. Autograph, get off your ass. Um, we do one for Eddie Ojeda from Twisted Sister, uh, me and Frank Bellow. We have our Altitudes and Attitude Band. So that's one of the fun things that we do. We even do some, we roast some stuff for, uh, for the Grammys, for Music Cares, to give, wow. give uh, some money to them. A little participation for Music Cares. So... Music Cares was just getting started when I was getting sobered up in the in the late 80s. I remember Music Cares was just getting started. And of course, now they're really, you know, a, a huge pillar in our professional community, helping people with health care and drug and alcohol rehab and all kinds of stuff. You know, so for to support them is, is kind of a, a passion for me. So, you know, coffee, I think, plays well in the neighborhood. And um, we're not leading anybody down any roads of temptation or anything else and so it's like a, it's a it's a good it's a good thing and you know coffee around the world is very different you know we you know i think you think of drip coffee here you know mr coffee you know it's funny remember joe dimaggio doing the mr coffee commercials when i was a kid you know yeah you know drip coffee is very popular remember church they'd always had the percolator which is it's the same concept just a different way to make it and it was of course it was church coffee so it's like oh that's disgusting you know but uh um <laughs> Yeah, but it was not, it was made thin and weak, and I like the donuts better than the coffee. You know, then around the world, most of it is is espresso-type coffee. And so in America, of course, you know, with Starbucks, I mean, that really opened up kind of the whole concept of of this sort of European coffee house, you know, yeah. lifestyle. Um, it's funny, our guitar player, Kiko, uh, he read the Howard Schultz book, and we'd have many conversations on the road. I remember sitting in a Starbucks in India, in Bangalore, India, on this little street where it had like a Puma store, a Starbucks, and like it was a kind of like this one area that had these kind of nicer little shops there. And yeah. I'm talking about, you know, this coffee house like Starbucks being this third place. You have work, you have home, and then you have this third place that you go. And I like that to me because that kind of summarizes – kind of the coffee culture and the coffee lifestyle. It's the sort of third place you you hang at, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. I used to drink a lot of soda. So mm -hmm. when I grew around the world, I'd drink soda and then I'd collect the bottles and come back, which is always funny when I go right. to customs. They're like, you have a bunch of empty bottles. You know? yeah. But when did you start collecting coffees from around the world? Well, I started, you know, it's hard to collect it, but I do get a lot of fans who give me a lot of coffee now because they know I'm into it, of course. And yeah. I've had fans send me coffee, like from Guatemala. Um, when I started the company, people were like, hey, I own a farm. I'd love you to roast, you know, you know, we can be a, a, a supplier, you know, for you. And I don't do my own roasting, partly because I don't have the 
you know, it's, 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 it's a next level thing. I'd like to do it and I might end up doing it eventually, you know, to have like my own roasting machine and roasting facility, but there's a lot that sure. goes into it. You have to staff it and have the right people there to do it. And, you know, roasting is very much, or roasting is like writing a song. I mean, you're like being a chef. There's a lot of nuance. And so I, I use, I use third party roasters because they know what they're doing. They've got the right source of beans. They've got the right artisan roasters back there. These guys really know what they're doing. That's not something you come home off tour bleary eyed and go, yeah, I think I'm going to go roast 300 bags of coffee. You know, I mean, if you, <laughs> if you, if you mess it up, it'll taste charred and burnt or it, you know what I mean? It's, it's gotta be done right. So I, I trust the experts. Well, so, I mean, you started, you opened up the, the, the store itself in your hometown, Jackson, right. Minnesota, yeah. which is actually closer to Sioux Falls than it is to Minneapolis, I think I was looking it, that up. It is, it is, yeah, it's about 70 minutes maybe to the, yeah, exactly, to the east of Sioux Falls, yeah. So it lasted for about a year, and you, you, you sort of folded that in, not folded, but you sort of moved it over to another location, so it's Cat's Hog Heaven. I did, I moved it up the street. I mean, what we did is we, we did a partnership, because the woman that had the shop there, she was struggling. Um, and so I came in, we laid our brand over top, we relaunched it as an Ellison Coffee store, and it was great for the town, you know, that it was it was just a good time for for that, you know, to kind of bring my life back home to my small town of Jackson. and. Right. You know, to have all the guitars on the wall and everything. I always knew going into it is like, look, this may work. It may not. It's a standalone coffee store. Um, but I always liked that shop because when I'd go back there to see my family, I'd always go there. My mom turned me onto it, actually, before ah. she passed. Yeah, she had turned me onto it. So that's why I like I had an affinity for it. And they made, you know, the Scotcheroos, right, which are like the Rice Krispie bars with yeah, the yeah. chocolate on top, right, which is like my favorite dessert ever. Very Midwestern. And they made those there. I'm like, ah, oh, you won me over. I'm a customer for life, you know. So the you simple know, things. In, yeah. So to come in and, and help her out with the shop and and kind of infuse some cash and get and get it, you know, up and run, keep it up and running. You know, we did the best we could with it for a while, and then we did move it up the street, two blocks up. Um, our friend Donnie Schoenrock, he's got a very successful barbecue restaurant there called Cat's Barbecue. Or Cat's Hog Heaven, actually, it's called. And and so he donated basically a, a about a third of his restaurant to Ellison Coffee. So we just moved the guitars and all the, you know, gold records and stuff up the street to him. And it's great because he's got very high, very high traffic. And so, you know, it's interesting kind of getting a glimpse into the, into the food and beverage business. Because we we also um, participated. Danny Wimmer let us um, bring our coffee into some of his big festivals uh, a couple years right. back, and I started to integrate in and 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 work with some of the food and beverage vendors that do some of the big like Lambeau Field and a bunch of the big sporting arenas and that. So I started to you know kind of get an education on that whole world, which was, was fun for me to do. So, you know, look, the fact that we have a product and it's a rock and roll product that we can get in the door on some of those fun things is, is, is just, it's fun, man. It's, it's a, it's a cool thing for us. I've done a lot of writing about food business. And one of the things, of course, one of the primary things is location, 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 like in my neighborhood, right. in Long Island, there's a spot that I know for the first six, seven years I lived there, there've been three different restaurants. And finally one stayed at this Pakistani <clears throat> place, stayed there for like six, seven years before they moved to a mm -hmm. bigger location somewhere else. So in terms of coffee, I'm assuming it's getting it into the right venues, first of all. But is that and what other aspects of being an entrepreneur in that area did you have to learn? Because it's not like you just make a bunch of coffee and sell it. Yeah, I mean, look, we started, we put our first bag at AllisonCoffeeCo.com, sold the bag, took the money, bought two bags, you know, sold it, got four bags, you know what I mean? So we grew yeah, yeah. exponentially just by 
look, let's see if one of them sells first. And then we just expanded from there. And then we got into doing the festivals and then a bunch of, of course, we did the store in Jackson, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so we had a pretty, pretty fast uptick into our growth, you know, and, and then we've got um, a few dozen retailers around the country. And they're, they're everything from, you know, little mom and pop stores, you know, everything from head shops to record shops to ice cream shops and stuff like that. And I've have talked to people, of course, about the bigger things like getting into Walmart and all this stuff and, and grocery stores and U.S. foods and craft foods and these things. And it's always about what's the story. You know, is this a local thing? Costco is great at that. They're really good about supporting local wine, food, just lo- local companies, you know. But, boy, you've really got to be ready. I remember I worked at Peavy, the music instrument manufacturer. And when, yeah, they, yeah. Were going, when they were going into Guitar Center, I got a little education on it because it's like when, they, when you go into a big box store like that, you've got one shot, you've got to be ramped up and you've got to hit the bullseye. And if you miss on any one of those, you're out. You don't get a second chance, you know. And yeah. so it was interesting with this company as big as Peavy, you know, <laughs> just making that transition from kind of mom and pop stores into Guitar Center, you know, to really get a, an upfront view of that. So I already know that with coffee, it's like you've got to be well funded. Your products have got to be ready and, and, and you know, you've got to go. You know, when you go to walk into the grocery store, you think it's a place to buy food. But when yeah. you're a product vendor, it's basically all about marketing, like what shelf space your product is on, the end caps, you know, when Coca-Cola flipped over to New Coke and then they went back to Classic Coke, but they kept New Coke. Now they had two SKUs. They had two products on the shelves, which yeah. of course pissed Pepsi off. So then they did <laughs> Pepsi clears. They could have Pepsi, you know what I mean? And it just becomes this, it's highly competitive. And of course, those guys are very well funded. And they can afford to play that game. You know, I'm just I'm just a little bass player over here, you know, having fun with my coffee. So I, I know my place in the in the in the scheme of it. But it is nice that our fans ask, hey, why, why don't you get into the local grocery store? You know, so I, I know the demand is there. It's it's you know, it's just a matter of, of ramping, <laughs> ramping it up to that level, I guess. What are the biggest lessons you've learned so far? Well, you know, part of it is, is, you know, one of the biggest hindrances to small businesses is, is being undercapitalized to be able to make that jump. And of course, you, in order to go raise money or get venture capital, you know, and every time you get money from someone else, you're ultimately handing off a piece of your company to them. You know, that's something I've learned in, in business. And again, I learned that from PV because Hartley PV owned PV 100%. It was all his. And he never went and got outside money to, you know, he never partnered. You know, cause that's what happens to a lot of companies. I've worked with guitar companies yeah. where they got upside down. They got, and they had a, they, one day they're a leveraged buyout, meaning they owed more than they could pay. And someone came in and took the company from them, you know, and I've seen that happen. And boy, once you lose your name, you're out of the game, period. Especially right. when your name is on the door, <laughs> your name, your name <laughs> is the product. You don't want to lose your name because that's that's everything, um, and it's hard to ever get back into the business if your name is what carries it, and you lose your name, you've essentially lost everything. So, you know, I guess I'm trying to go by the you know the wise man or what is it? The smart man learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And I'm yeah. trying to uh, to not not get too far ahead of myself. And, you know, look, we I was spending you know, I always said, he said, look, I'm not going to spend my bass player money on a coffee business. You know, like the bass player money comes home to take care of my family and my life. You know, coffee is is for fun and it's cool. And if we get some opportunities, great. But I'm, I'm certainly not going to lose the farm here 
over, you know, getting caught up in the coffee business. So I, I, I again, I kind of got to know my place with it. And we, we, we pushed it out there, you know, I mean, yeah. I a, you know, motor home, I had a staff of people out running, out doing the festivals and, and it was fun, but hmm. it, it's really easy to flip upside down and just get buried in it too. So it's been fun to have those experiences and, and kind of know our place. I mean, especially with COVID right now, of course, a lot of stores are closed. Yeah. So our online business has been doing fantastic. And I've talked to other people in the restaurant businesses that said their, their curbside and takeout business is so good that they closed their dining rooms. And, and they said, look, until we can be at a hundred percent with our dining room business, we're not going to open our dining rooms back up because we'll lose, we'll lose our shorts being a half open dining room, you know, cause we still have to staff it. We got to do all this stuff to, you know, so if we can do curbside and takeout and maintain our business, that's what we're going to do. But you have a couple dozen retail partners. We also have restaurant partners as well. I mean, I, I had, I had some, um, and they would just basically purchase kind of print on demand, if you will, you know, roast yeah, yeah, on yeah. demand kind of stuff. And, and it, <laughs> I like having our business like that, you know, having it sort of roast on demand. And that's why, again, it's because I have third party roasters and I don't have to re, you know, keep my own roasting business happening because again, that's sort of another part, part of a business is when you got to keep your roasting alive. You know, then at that point, you're now in the roasting business. You're not just in the, you know, rock star puts his name on a bag of coffee and sells it, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's all of a sudden now you're in the roasting business and you got to keep your roasters employed. And, you know, so it's funny every time you add anything to the supply chain. Now that's kind of its own standalone business as well. Um, and I'm sure, yeah. look, I'm sure I could roast for other people. But again, you know, buying a roaster and now having the rent and the business and the payroll and everything else to sustain a, a roasting business is like a whole other level, you know? So for now, I still want to play bass and I still got to pay attention to writing songs and rec making records. Uh, you could say that you, Dave likes to pummel you with his bass and then soothe you with the savory aroma and taste of his coffee. <laughs> good one. I might have, might have to borrow that from you. That's a good one. <laughs> now, wait, I want to give people like a quick education. I mean, I know that there's two main types of beans. There's the Arabica beans and the Robusta beans, Yeah. which has to do with the elevation. Obviously, the Arabica beans yeah. are higher up on the hill, and the Robusta gets all the, the runoff from the storms and everything, so it doesn't taste as good. And it seems like Robusta, from what you've explained before, is what you get in your general run-of-the-mill kind of generic coffee at stores, and the Arabica is more of the gourmet coffees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. High in the hills. <laughs> That's a thing of it like that. You know, in rock and roll, we want to be higher up in the hills, you know, run to the, yeah, hills. the uh... Run to the hills, yep. Yeah, and the, and the Robusta is, you know, and, and again, it, that's the kind of cheaper jittery coffee, you know, when you kind of get the jitters. And, and again, the cheaper, more kind of, when I was growing up, Folgers, Maxwell House, you know, that kind of stuff was was, was generally the Robusta. And I've, again, you know, one of the things we did, you know, we, we create roasts, right? So we have a flavor. Yeah, um, and you if you five think different of ones, right? Yeah, and so when I take this flavor around to different roasters, they will match it with various beans. Roast and Peace started originally when we started the company. We had a roaster, Paul Wagoner from the band Between the Buried and Me. Right. He and his wife had a roaster out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and he had a Brazilian bean. It was a single origin, single bean that that, that Roast and Peace started with. And then um, our business grew, and he was going through some transitions. So then I had to move and find some other roasters. And I have one in Minneapolis, one here in Phoenix. I got one over in the UK. So we, we as we moved the flavor match, uh, I had to take the coffee and say, hey, you need to match this. Now, they, you know, they can use a variety of beans. They can use some Mexican, Colombian, various things. And, of course, it's, uh, the roasting is a big part of that. Yeah. I, I liken it to, like, when you move into a house and you go, you know, we need to paint the room. 
I want it to be, you know, this whatever coffee cream, you know, color. And so you take it down to the local hardware store and it may be Sherwin Williams, Don Edward, Don Edward, whatever it may be. Right. Yeah, it yeah. May be, so we're not really so concerned about the brand. We just want this color. So they put it into the machine and they and they color match it, right? And we realize, yeah. okay, Don Edwards has the, the combination of their their paints creates this color. Same thing with coffee. You know, as you move it around, you're essentially flavor matching, and so different roasters are going to use different beans to create that. And so, really, it's kind of comes down to just you know you letting your palate be the judge. And again, I, I would just drink coffee, not to th- think too much about it. But as I've now sat in roasters and had to flavor match my own coffee going, oh, my gosh, we've sold this to people. And if they reorder it, they're going to expect it to taste like the last batch they ordered. And yeah. so does it hit the palate too hard? Does it have sort of this aftertaste? What if they put milk or cream in it? And you know what I mean? So there's kind of all these different considerations <laughs> And that, that's been fun for me. That's been a pretty fun process. It's, that has educated me on coffee as well. You have five different roasts, right? At least. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, we've, you know, Rock and Rose, Roast in Peace. We've got the Skid Row, Eddie Ojeda, Altitudes and Attitude. We've got two Music Cares. Including the other ones, too, the other bands as well. Yeah, yeah. And so there's seven seven or eights now, actually. Um, I, I should know there's boxes of them out in the other room here. That <laughs> when I get off this interview, I'm going to go right back and keep boxing up coffee. But yeah, probably about seven or eight. And a couple of them uh, are pretty similar because they're a darker Italian, like the Eddie Ojeda and the, um, the Altitudes and Attitude one. It is pretty similar. There's a slight difference to them, but they're they're both a darker Italian uh, roast okay. uh, type of coffee, um, and which I like. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, the darker stuff generally tends to be a little less caffeinated. The lighter the roast, oftentimes it has more caffeine still left in it because you're not roasting it out of there. I've heard about white coffee. Is white coffee a thing? <laughs> I have. I've never done it. I've never done it. But, you know, come to think of it, one thing that we did do is uh, CBD. I played yeah. a show. I was on a solo bass story show, me and Bumblefoot. Uh, we played in Manhattan. Company had come to us and and I, you know, I'm not a I don't take any mind altering drugs anymore, or alcohol or anything like that. So when I was presented with it, I started I, I, a chiropractor turned me into CBD. I was having a problem with my shoulder. There was a certain bass I played on a tour. And the, because of the strap length, I, I, I came off the tour. I was like, God dang it, man. My freaking my shoulder is killing me. And, and he rubbed yeah. some CBD on it. And it was the only thing that worked. I did, was getting PRP shots. I mean, stuff that was pretty painful. And he rubbed some CBD on it, and it worked. I went, oh, my God, it freaking took care of the pain. So I became a believer, at least in topical CBD. And so this coffee company right. came to us about doing a CBD coffee. And I tried a little right before I went on stage, which is a little daring. I used to try a lot of other stuff right before I went on stage too. You know, you, you do it and then ask what it is. <laughs> hey, what was that? You know, as you walk on stage That's back, rock in, and roll. back in an older you know, a, a day far many years back. But, um, and so I drank it and it, and it, it, it tasted great. It was, it was great. So we actually created a Jamaica blue mountain, which is an expensive coffee period. Mm. First time I tried that was in Kyoto, Japan. Um, back in the late nineties, I had a a nice Jamaica blue mountain. Yeah. And a really great, smooth tasting coffee. So we, our CBD coffee is that then with the CBD in it. And it's, it's a fantastic coffee. You do feel some of the effects of the CBD. 
so I've only had it once to just sort of sample it and that's it because I, again, I try to stay away from any, <laughs> anything that changes from the neck up, you know, mind altering <laughs> stuff, yeah. but the coffee itself is fantastic and it's expensive because CBD is expensive. So that's also on the Ellison Coffee Co. website and that's just kind of clicks right straight through to that company in New York that creates that coffee and they do all the shipping and fulfillment and everything from there. So if you're into that, that's okay. incredible. Uh, it's really good coffee. My girlfriend wanted me to ask, do you use dairy for creamer or do you use something plant-based like soy, coconut, or oat milk? You know, I used to always use milk and just because of acid reflux. And I noticed it when I was, because I yeah. talk a lot for interviews and singing and stuff like that on stage. And I actually have now moved to uh, Chobani has a great oat milk that I use, an extra creamy oat milk. And that doesn't seem to have any of the dairy effects because it's not a dairy product, it's an oat milk product. So that's the one that I like. And I actually got turned on to it in Europe. They've got a great oat milk meant for uh, barista. It's like a barista type of oat-based creamer. And I, I loved it. I thought it tasted great. It, it did the same thing that, that a, like a dairy half and half would do. Do you sort of limit the amount of coffee consumption that you have? <laughs> so I think it's like being too too much coffee, man. You know, you want to avoid that. I do. Well, you know, and I don't want to blow my adrenals out, you know, since I live a pretty adrenaline-based life anyway, you know. I mean, yeah. I have some in the morning, you know, but I'm at home. I get up. I take my cats outside. They're indoor cats, so they think the outside is just like another room of the house, you know. So they think they're out hunting like animals. Then they're not. <laughs> they're they're pretty yeah. protected. So I go out there. I'll chill out a little bit by the pool, kind of hang with them, have my first cup, wake up. And then a little later in the afternoon, usually three, may, no later than about four o'clock, I'll sometimes have another one. And uh, so kind of a lighter roast in the morning and a little darker roast in the afternoon is kind of how I roll. I have to be honest, I never got into coffee. It's funny because I don't like coffee, but I like tiramisu, which is the coffee oh, yeah. flavor to it. Sure. I don't like chickpeas, but I like hummus. Yeah, so it's yeah. like this weird thing. It has to do with maybe the texture or the original taste. I like it in something else. I don't know well, why that is. Well, I don't like is. avocados, but I will tolerate guacamole, you know? So I get it, you know? Certain, yeah. certain. I was like that for a while, too. And now I actually, yeah. do, I actually do enjoy like avocado rolls. Yeah, you know, yeah, I need yeah. slightly healthier as I get older because that's that's the thing. I mean, you, you I imagine you on the road. I mean, you've you're still in great shape and obviously you've had to take care of yourself. And yeah. for you, I guess, is, is there like a good health regimen, a basic health regimen that you recommend for even younger rockers when they're going out there? Look, when we're young, we rock out. We do what we do, you know, and I just remember Alice Cooper, you know, when he took us out in 1987, you know, we were just getting going and we were running gunning pretty hard and he was newly sobered up and, you know, he took us on the bus and he, you know, he, he, he didn't give us the you better watch out talk. But, you know, he was just saying, look, my experience is, man, I drank a bottle of whiskey a day and, you know, and I, I had to change. So be careful. I mean, he. He, he, he definitely gave us the caution talk, and rightfully so. You know, he's yeah. Alice is a kind soul, and and as the you know elder statesman of our community in rock and roll, he had been there, and he was not. He was no longer propagating that as a lifestyle. He's like, just you know, be careful. You know, and he cared about us, and he's been a good good friend to Megadeth. And so, you know, when I when I hit the wall in the late '80s and got cleaned up by 1990, you know, I. I think a lot of it, you know, our drummer then, Nick Menza, um, on yeah. the Rust in Peace album, I was literally, I think, maybe a month sober when we were recording the Rust in Peace record. Wow. So I had, I, yeah, and boy, when you're getting cleaned up, and I was, you know, heroin and coke and all this stuff. And so when I was getting cleaned up off of that and coming out of that lifestyle, you know, I, I wasn't sleeping very much. And so I was just going, oh, my God, we're going to record in two weeks. Oh, my God, it's in a week. Oh, my God, it's like 
tomorrow. And, and so I was just trying to get some sleep and I found exercising really helped, uh, help that. And Nick was really, you know, in great shape and he liked to exercise. So he got me into mountain bike riding and me and, uh, our producer, Mike Clink and Nick, we'd go play tennis, you know, we'd, we'd record and then we'd get up in the morning the next day, we'd go play tennis in studio city. And then we'd head out to Canoga park and finish recording bass and drums and working on the record. So that really started a healthier lifestyle. And, and, and I started, was training. I was working out with a trainer a few days a week and I still do. Um, you know, I, I'll do, you know, like now I'll get up, I'll mountain bike ride or I won't mountain bike, I street ride. So I go out on the yeah. street, do street riding, I swim golf with my kids, still train three days a week. I'll do kickboxing, you know? So at 55, you know, I, I feel it sometimes like what the hell I like, I'm not 25 anymore, you know, but you know, yeah. I, I go to the doctor, I take care of my health and I get, I see a naturopath. So I, you know, stay on kind of a men's health protocol to keep, you know, all the blood levels and all this stuff together as long as we can, you know, because I tell you what, I, I see people around me, people my age are just dropping dead from stuff, you know? And, and so, I know, it's scary. you know, a friend of mine said, he goes, I think it's all about surviving your fifties and then you can get to your sixties you deal with it then, you know? And so for me, you know, fortunately I'd love performing. I love recording. I love everything that I, that I do. And, and yeah, you're just ha having a good, healthy attitude about it helps you know so to me it's it's i wake up excited ready to get going and so i want to be healthy and i want i can tell you know when i eat certain things or if i exercise or not i can tell pretty quickly so it's kind of like the more i play my bass the better i get and the better i stay i maintain and so the same thing with health if i if i maintain health it i don't have to sort of get caught up with it i just kind of keep going you know so this season being home but obviously with the pandemic pandemic has yeah. actually probably been good for me to kind of reset my some consistency in my sleep schedule and stuff that's probably the hardest thing when you're traveling man is the sleep schedule you know the circadian rhythms man it's it can be rough i've gone to europe and just stayed on the arizona time schedule you know like oh, wow, sleep yeah. all day wake up uh -huh. for sound check and then <laughs> play the show stay up all night and then i come home and i like you know i actually feel pretty good <laughs> so i'm trying to do it a bunch of different ways you know but it's just part of what we do traveling around the world well, I mean, that's, I'm a night owl, so like when I go to Europe, it's weird. I end up going to bed early and getting up early. Mm -hmm. Then when I come back, it screws me up. Now, when I go to L.A. from New York, then I yeah. just go to bed at 1 o'clock there rather than 4, and I come back, and it's perfectly fine. I, it's easier cross-country than it is. When I come back from Europe, I'm all I like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, when I get there, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is that is the hardest thing. I mean, look, in, in, uh, for us as performers touring, um, you know, for me, everything in my day focuses around the start of the show, you know, that, yeah. that hour or two hours we're on stage, my entire day is based around what around that. So sleep schedule, eating, socializing, whatever, every, you know, everything, vocal warmups, practicing, everything is focused around my energy being a hundred percent when that intro tape starts and we hit the stage. I mean, that everything has got to be perfect for that moment right there. And dare I ask, what do you think about some of the other rocker coffees that are out there? Is there anybody's brand that you particularly enjoy? <laughs> you know, I like Charlie Benante's. You know, Charlie got into the coffee thing quite a few years back. And uh, I think he uses Dark Matter out of Chicago as his roaster. And they're, they're uh, a big company and they do they do a really good job. You know, Death Wish, of course, you know, Zach Wilds uh, kind of brought their brand to my awareness. And they've they've done well. You know, they've they've made some of those bigger level transitions over into you know liquid coffee, canned coffee, and stuff like that. 
And funny, canned coffee is actually not really the coffee business. It's it's the it's part of the canned beverage business. It's like a whole different. Really? <laughs> yeah, when you get into the Circle K and Seven Eleven and all that, that's a whole. It's really it's like a different business actually. But but you know they've done well and they've they've got a cool brand. So I like it. You know, it's kind of like there's room for all of us. And um, you know, I think for me, like I said, my thing is is it's it's fun. It's meant to be kind of just part of. Our merchandising and and it and I take it seriously because I I drink the stuff and it, it needs to taste great. It's not just some shitty coffee I throw my name oh, yeah. on and get a royalty check from. I'm I'm hands on, literally hands on with the business, you know. So for me, I I've got pride of ownership and pride of our our product and you know that it shows up looking good and tasting good. It's like when you go to the Apple Store, you know, it's the whole process of how you walk in, you buy yeah. it, you get it, it's in a cool <laughs> box, you get it home, you know. To me, that's all part of it is I want it to be a, a fun experience for our customers. Well, finally, I, mean, I want to ask, you know, what, what goals do you have? What, is there some sort of dream coffee that you want to, uh, to create or is there just something you want to do with the business as far as growing it? You know, I think it's, you know, again, because it's synonymous with my career and music, I think as long as it sort of sits next to that is good. You know, look, if one day I retire and it turns into Paul Newman's salad dressing, you know, (laughs) and it's more famous than my music career. Well, hey, God bless it. You know, if that if that's meant to be, then that's great. But, you know, this stuff is honestly it's one day at a time. You know, sometimes you just you wake up and there's an email or a call comes in. Hey, we want to do this and we want to do that. You know, I think that's part of the fun of it, too, is it's out there. People are aware of it. I think we've done really good as a a rock and roll coffee brand because that's what we are. That's who we are. And it's okay to just be really, to my opinion, just be really great at that. You know, I don't have to try to compete with Dunkin' Donuts and Folgers and, you know, and, and all that stuff because that's not who we are. That's meant for an entirely different customer. You know, we're an artisan, you know, hand roasted premium coffee. And, and I'm good with that. If that's all we ever are. Then that's awesome. I'm proud of what we are in that domain. That wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. Please join me for the next installment, which will feature Night Ranger guitarist Brad Gillis. The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I licensed them through AudioSocket. As always, thank you very much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 